As you can imagine, being in a rollover accident, physically, I was stunned. You know, yes. I was I was in shock and I could not hardly move. And uh, I started looking for them, but and and I turned as much as I could, and I started looking back for them, but I really couldn't turn all the way around. And I, I was still calling for them, but there was still no answer. And then I started noticing that people had pulled off over on the side of the highway and that they were gathering in the grass 20, 30 feet from the vehicle. And Carrie and David had been thrown from the car and were <sighs> lying on the side of the highway Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. Today's guest is a full-time entrepreneur, Build a Life After Loss podcaster, a hope giver, a life coach, a grief recovery specialist, and an artist, but not always in that order. She is a wife to a wonderful husband who brings the fun. She's the mother to six wonderful children and two angels, and she is also a wonderful and vibrant grandma. She shares her story of loss and grief of when her two youngest children died in a car accident on Mother's Day and her desires to bring hope to others who are grieving. She believes powerfully in the human spirit and the ability for all to rise from the ashes and create beauty. I am pleased to introduce Julie Clough. Julie, are you ready to share your story of hope? I am. Wonderful. So it says you're an artist. Tell me a little bit about that real quick. <laughs> well, that's a that's an interesting story. I I have been a crafter my whole entire life. That's my sister and I grew up creating invitations and painting and experimenting and playing with my mom and then as I as I got older, I got more and more involved in crafting and about well, it's, I guess it's been about five years ago, four or five years ago now, I had foot surgery and I had been interested in mixed media art. Oh, And so when I was laying around <laughs> recovering from foot surgery, I decided that that was the time to get online and explore all the videos that I could find on mixed media art. And I became an artist. That is super <laughs> it's been, cool. It's been really fun. Previous to that, I did like a lot of card making and that kind of thing. I had a YouTube channel for a while doing wow. card making, but this has been a huge love is, is creating. I do, I do abstracts. I do larger scale abstracts and abstract florals. And then I, I like to paint whimsical faces. And so I do a lot of mixed media with whimsical faces. So, yeah. Oh, that's kind of a fun <laughs> little side note passion. I, I just, I was like, I'm curious about that. And I am always one that if I'm curious about something, I have to ask the question. <laughs> My goodness. Well, we are so excited to have you on the show today to share your story of hope. And, um, Interesting thing about Julie and I is we both lived in Spring, Texas. We did not know each other at the time, but we have some common friends. And so I feel like she's a friend that I met only recently, but I feel like I've known her forever. So <laughs> that's awesome. Anyway, so we're gonna we're gonna go back to Texas in this story, aren't yes, we? Yes, we we sure are. Back to Spring, Texas. All right. Well, why don't you take us there and and tell us your story? I will. So it was Mother's Day. It was Mother's Day 2007. And I have six children. Mm -hmm. I think that was in the bio. I don't remember, but I have six children. And my three youngest children and I were traveling from Houston. We were living in Spring, which mm -hmm. is north of Houston. And we were traveling from Houston to North Carolina to visit my in-laws. Right. And Mother's Day, and we're, we're on this trip. And it was my my daughter was 10 and my son was 8 and my other son was 12 
at the time. And, mm-hmm. and my 12 year old was sitting in the front seat with me and the, and Carrie and David were in the back seat with their toys and their snacks and making a mess of course, <laughs> and having a good time. And we were having this great trip. It was just, it was going really, really well. And I was just, I was actually frankly surprised it was going as well as it was because traveling with kids can always be interesting. Yes, it can. And it got to be about mid afternoon and we were approaching the Mississippi Alabama border. And I have no idea what happened because I have no recollection of being sleepy, but suddenly I found myself waking up as I was driving down the center between the highways and the median in the grass, bumping along. And as soon as I, and of course, you know, you're going 70, 75 miles an hour and as, and I was driving a suburban and as soon as I went to go pull the car back up on the highway, Uh the car started to roll (sighs) and it rolled and it rolled and it rolled. I have, I actually have no idea how many times it rolled and we found ourselves, we landed upright on the other side of the eastbound lanes in the in the grass wow on the complete other side of the highway miraculously we didn't hit anybody else that is a miracle it was a tremendous miracle that 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 happened but we we landed upright and i had lost my eyesight as the car rolled i i hit my head i guess is what happened and my mm-hmm. eyesight was i couldn't see anything mm-hmm. when the when the car stopped but i could hear my 12 year old next to me crying in pain but I could not hear Carrie and David who had been in the back seat and I started calling for them and there was no answer there was no answer and my eyesight slowly came back and as you can imagine being in a rollover accident physically I was stunned you know I was I was in shock and I could not hardly move and uh, I started looking for them but and and I turned as much as I could as my eyesight came back I just like all I could see was just shattered glass everywhere in mm-hmm. front of me and anything that had been in the car was just everything was just in disarray and I started looking back for them but I really couldn't turn all the way around and I I was still calling for them but there was still no answer and then I started noticing that people had pulled off over on the side of the highway and that they were gathering in the grass 20, 30 feet from the vehicle and Carrie and David had been thrown from the car and were lying on the side of the highway. And a gentleman came up to my car door and I said, I need a phone. I need a phone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he, he gave me his cell phone and I called my husband who was still in Houston. And I said, Ron, I've been in an accident and I don't know if Carrie and David are going to make it. They've been thrown from the car and the ambulances arrived. And of course, you know, Ron was uh, shocked as, as we all were. It's this weird thing when something horrible like that happens suddenly where you, in your mind, you are trying to figure out how in the world you can go back five minutes Mm. that's like all that was in my head is how can I go back five minutes? And, and the other thing that was in my head was that my life had changed forever because I knew no matter what the outcome was, that it wasn't going to be good. They -hmm. were either severely injured or they didn't make it. And so the ambulances arrived and they, they put James, my 12 year old son, who was in the front seat with me on a striker board. They put me on a striker board. They loaded us up in an ambulance as it turns out, we were kind of in between two smaller country hospitals. And, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, they took Carrie and David to one hospital and they took James and I to another hospital. Oh. And so I ended up at this other hospital with James lying on the striker board for I don't know how long. Those are the most uncomfortable things. It's, <laughs> I mean, if you're not already in pain, you're in pain. It, it was uh, it was horrific. The whole thing was horrific because I laid there on that striker board in the most uncomfortable position, wondering whether or not my children were alive Yeah, and not getting any answers from anyone. Cause as the nurses would come in and out, I would say, you know, have you heard anything from Carrie and David? And they're like, Oh, we'll, we'll let you know as soon as we do, but they wouldn't say anything. They didn't no. say anything to me at all. And I don't know exactly how long it took, but 
my aunt and uncle, I had an aunt and uncle that lived a couple hours south of there in Mississippi. And so they drove up to the hospital as soon as they found out about the accident, of course. And when they got there, Mm -hmm. they put Ron on the phone, who was at the Houston airport trying to get out to Mississippi. And they put him on the phone. And he's the one that told me that they didn't make it. Oh, gosh. That they had died. And within five minutes of hearing that, I was told that my 12-year-old son was needing to go into emergency surgery. Oh, God. So they wheeled me into the other room so I could talk to him. And I took his hand. I, I didn't tell him anything about what was going on with Carrie mm-hmm. and David. That was just not the time no. to share that news with him because he was getting ready to go into surgery. And he's a 12-year-old kid scared to death. Yeah. And um, he had emergency surgery on his leg. His, his right leg had either gone out the window or was just injured mm-hmm. as we rolled. It was injured pretty severely and they needed to do this emergency surgery. So... And his leg is fine today. So, uh, you know, I took his hand and I just said, you know, you're going to be okay. It's, this, is, this is what needs to happen and I'm so sorry. And, and we had this really brief conversation and then they willed me back out. And, you know, then I'm facing the fact that my children haven't made it. Oh, my goodness. So what was going through your mind at that point? I think, I think our... I think our system has a way of protecting us. Yes. And so there's so much shock around what's happened that you can't comprehend it. Mm -hmm. I mean, even looking back, I can't comprehend it. I I honestly still look back and go, I don't know how we survived, Mm -hmm. but, but we did. And there was just so much shock. Well, here's, here's an interesting thing that had happened just a, a couple months before I had met somebody who had kind of walked me through a Christ-centered meditation. Mm. And in that Christ-centered meditation, she kind of walked me through like visualizing seeing him in a, in a meadow and meeting him and giving him my burdens and visualizing what he would give me. And as I laid in the hospital, I went, I went back and forth from, I'm not going to say hysterics because I certainly, I wasn't, I wasn't screaming or anything, but just crying in agony Mm -hmm. to visualizing meeting Christ in a field and handing him my burden, which was so comforting. And that's, that's pretty much what I, what I was doing for the next little while. I, you know, my husband arrived and he had to go to the morgue and I, I didn't have to do any of that. You know, right. he had to go to the funeral home, I guess, where they took, took Carrie and David and identify them for, for whatever reason. He kind of had took this role of having to take over, take care of everything because I was injured. I wasn't severely injured. Interestingly, when James got out of the, out of surgery, they, they put us both in a hospital room in the same hospital room that had a lobby to it. Like it was amazing (laughs) that we had, we had the shared room. So when all of our family and friends, you know, my mom was there, my sister, my, my brother, my aunts, my uncle, um, two or three friends flew in from Houston, my dad, like all these people gathered and held vigil in that room. And we were in that hospital for close to a week. Wow. While my son was recuper- recuperating from his surgery, they released me the night before they released him. So I went back to the hotel with my mom, my sister, and and one of my aunts or a couple of my aunts. Yeah, it was it was it was kind of a miraculous little thing. You know, another miracle that happened that I was able to recognize right away. And these are some of the things that helped me to heal was recognizing these miracles that happened. Mm-hmm. The surgeon that did. James's surgery, he had actually developed the specific procedure that James needed. Wow. Like if that's not a miracle and, the, and, and I don't remember if it was a nurse or an intern said, I don't know why he's here. Mm. And I'm like, I know why he's here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that was just such a miracle. There were so many things that happened as the car rolled. I heard a voice in my head that said, bring in your arm. And two or three months later, 
my uncle called me and he says, I was just watching this show and there was this dancer and, and she lost her arm in a rollover accident, just like you were in. And then like three years later, I met another woman who had lost her arm in a rollover accident. So hearing that voice to bring my arm in, which I did, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's nothing short of a miracle. Mm-hmm. And I, I kept thinking that, and this is over time, but I kept thinking that if, if those miracles could happen to, to save James's leg, to save my arm, Mm-hmm. those same miracles could have happened to save Carrie and David. Mm. And it was, it was pretty clear to me from the beginning, from the very beginning, not easy. No. Like it took a long, long time for me to, to process all the grief that I experienced. But I understood f- from almost the very beginning that it was their time to go. Mm. And, I remember that night a friend called from, from spring and she's, and I was on the phone with her and I said, they're eternally safe. They're eternally safe. And I just knew that from the beginning that they were not going to have to deal with all the difficulties of this life, that they were eternally safe and they were going to be there when it was my time to, to move on. That is so sweet. Thank you for sharing that, that, um, pulls at my heart quite a bit and um with anything that's dramatic like that it's hard to process it all and it's amazing to see how um it's almost like the little pieces of the puzzle that you needed were given to you before it happened like that christ-centered meditation i mean oh my goodness how powerful that must have been that was so powerful and there were other things too there Mm -hmm. were there were, I had gone to a funeral the month before and I had a kind of a really unusual experience, almost like revelation. I, I don't know how else to, to describe it, but mm-hmm. of feeling God's love for this husband who had lost his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been on a trip and there had been some messages that were given about, you know, just there were some scriptures that came to mind and things that, that, and I can't remember the exact verses now, but, you know, just to the effect that, you know, God is powerful, Mm -hmm. that, that he has angels here on the earth, that he is like surrounding us. You remember when the, when the armies and then they could see the, you know, God's forces oh, was larger. they that than, be with us are more than yeah, they that be with them yeah, in the Old Testament. Exactly. I think it's in Second Kings. That's one of I my think favorite. It is. I love that Elisha. too. And you, you, you would think I would remember who it was, but yeah. for whatever reason right now I can remember. But yeah, it was, it was that type of messaging that I got that month before the kids died. Wow. That is, it is good to know that God is aware of us. And wants to help us through whatever situation we're going through. And sometimes um, we pick up on those clues and sometimes we don't. <laughs> yeah, true. But um, that is, that's really, really neat. Um, what are some of the tips you would give to somebody going through grief that you learned going through this traumatic experience? Well, after... After we were, you know, we went back to Houston and we had to deal with the funerals and so forth and all of that, I still had to physically recover. Mm-hmm. And I obviously needed to emotionally recover, but I ended up with PTSD from oh, being yes. the driver of the car that rolled. I went through therapy for two and a half years. One of the things that I, I, would, I would say is, we really do need resources. Like we really do. Like I was, I was willing to reach out to, to counselors. I was willing to do whatever it took to heal. And, and that didn't happen overnight. Right. In fact, I, I gave myself a lot of patience and a lot of permission the first few months. And I don't know if it was the year mark or if it was even earlier than that. At some point that flipped for me and I thought I should be better. Mm. And, and 
about three weeks after the accident, my husband was really anxious to get us all in to see somebody, to see a counselor. Mm-hmm. And this isn't the counselor that I ultimately ended up seeing for my PTSD, but it was another counselor. And we brought the whole family in and he met with each of our kids. And then he met with my husband and I. And one of the things, and I'm sitting there, black eyes from the accident, a cast and banged up, pretty bruised up and banged up. And he says, he said to me, you look like a strong woman. You know, we can choose to be happy. And that was kind of, now I'm sure he said some other wonderful things. Like Mm -hmm. I am convinced of it, but for some reason, that's pretty much all I heard. Mm -hmm. The only other thing I heard was you're going to have crazy thoughts. Like your brain is trying to process all this and you're going to have crazy thoughts, which was really helpful to, Mm -hmm. to hear. But unfortunately, after a few months of giving myself some permission and some patience, I flipped and I was like, okay, why am I not choosing to be happy? And I started to beat myself up because I couldn't figure out how to be happy. And I thought I was doing it wrong. And I thought there was something wrong with me Mm -hmm. and it just made it worse. Yeah. It just made it worse because we think that by beating up on ourselves and by being unkind and, and saying, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that, that, that that's going to help us, that that's going to propel us forward. But it doesn't, it doesn't at all. It's, it's the, it's the patience and the love that we show for ourselves. And I had so much, I don't want to say hatred because that just sounds so a little too strong, but I was just so upset with myself. I could not, I was having a hard time forgiving myself for being the driver of the car, for not recognizing that I was tired. Like I have absolutely no recollection of being tired. Mm. And it's almost like uh, just a a quiet blanket just went over our vehicle and we all went to sleep because literally we were all talking and the next thing I know we were rolling. Mm. I mean, it was just, but I just had so much I just, I don't know. I guess I should just say hatred for myself for, for what had happened. And I, I, you know, that's that feeling of just being in such a dark place and you can't, you can't get away from yourself. Like you want to be able to just come out of your skin and leave yourself behind somehow. And you can't. Right. And it was, it was horribly painful and horribly lonely and dark and, depressing and just really difficult. But I, I held on to, there was always hope in the background for me. I, I think because, because of my faith in God, I really think that that was a big part of it, but also I'd gone through some difficult things before my brother, many years before had died by suicide. I'd gone through a divorce that was really hard with three young children. And I had gotten through those things and I'd come out on the other side and I knew that the way things look today is not the way things look later, like Mm. that things can improve. I had this sense that things could improve, but I didn't, it was really hard in the meantime and slowly through, through therapy, through just any means, just I played tennis, like I got out and I was social and it was hard, but I did it. I kind of pushed myself a little bit. Just knowing, I think the belief, the hope that there is recovery, that there is healing is huge because if we don't believe we can heal, we won't. Mm. If we don't believe we can heal, we won't. And, and we will be stuck in this this place of just self-hatred and darkness and loneliness and just this grief. Grief is one of the lowest vibrational emotions. It, Mm -hmm. It feels very uncomfortable. And so we want to push it away. We want to find some way to escape from it. Right. But then when we feel happy, we feel guilty. Yes. Especially early on, you know, anything that happens that makes us laugh or puts a smile on our face, we go, Oh, I I, I shouldn't shouldn't feel that way because of this 
bad thing that happened, I, I you're not allowing yourself. If I loved my children, I wouldn't be happy right now. Mm. You know, it's it, and that's that's the my biggest concern, especially with mothers who have lost children, is this idea that that we have to grieve the rest of our lives if we love our children. And I believe the opposite is true. I absolutely believe the opposite is true. That it is our it is honoring our children to find a way to heal. Mm -hmm. It's honoring our children to be happy again. Mm -hmm. It's if we, if they were sitting in the room with us right now, what would they say? Would they say, mom, you need to be sad. You need to be grieving the rest of your life because look, we're gone. Mm -hmm. No, they wouldn't say that at all. No, I don't think so. (laughs) They would come in the room and they would say, we just want you to be happy. We just want you to be happy. We lived a good life. Remember us with goodness. Remember us with happiness. And and too often, I think we we circumstances around a death sometimes can cause us to focus just on that. Mm. And we and we get focused on what was the last words that I said to them, mm. or what was the I, I wish that I had been able to say this, or I wish and. And we don't, and we, we discount all the rest of the relationship. Mm. And it's just important to just, just embrace the whole relationship and not have it come down to this horrific thing that happened just before the, the, the accident, my daughter was sitting next to her brother David in the back seat and she and I, I looked back I saw her she says she says David's driving me crazy I'm going to move over so because they were playing <laughs> next to each other and so she moved to the seat behind me mm-hmm. and she said I love you mom happy mother's day that was the first last thing she said to me oh and David was acting up and I was like David you got to sit in that chair. I mean, I, again, I was reminding him he's got to keep his seatbelt on, you know, because uh-huh. he kept wanting to get out of his seat. That was back in the days when you didn't wear, you didn't have car, child car seats until they were 20 years old. <laughs> like they do now, you know, they were yeah. just in the seatbelts. And so I was reminding him again, get that seatbelt on. I watched her go over to the other side and put her seatbelt on. And, you know, if I focused on the fact that the last thing I said to him was, David, you need to mind, you need to, you need to behave. That, that's not the whole relationship though. Like yeah. he, I, I love him and he knows it and he loves me. And, and that's just part of the mother child relationship is we have to do some correcting sometimes. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes. We, and reminders. <laughs> lots and lots of reminders, lots of reminders, especially with my David. Oh my goodness. We have lots of David stories. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with the picture book. No, David. Yes. Uh, oh, that was written for him. <laughs> Uh, we have laughed about that picture book and said that it was it was for him. <laughs> we still have it, which he actually ripped up and we had to tape back together. But <laughs> we have we have lots and lots of David stories. <laughs> Water dripping from the chandeliers and all kinds of stuff. Oh so, my yeah, goodness. Fun stuff. <laughs> so but that's what you need to remember. Yeah, exactly. You need to remember the joyous times mm-hmm. and and then I loved what you also said about part of the healing was knowing that you had been in a dark place before and that you would come out of it yeah. with God's help. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's an interesting that's an interesting thing, too, because a lot of times when something like this happens, especially where it's emotional, like if it's, if it's physical, like my son's broken leg, we're at the hospital and we're getting the help we need. Yes. And we're just, we're just doing it automatically. But when it's emotional, sometimes we think if I had enough faith, I could just, it would, it would just go away. Mm-hmm. And it's not the way it works. Yeah. Like it's, our heavenly father loves us so much. He's not going to just make everything okay for us. Mm-hmm. He's going to allow us to grow and learn. And that's what we get to do with his help and his support, but not with his immediate miraculous healing. Mm-hmm. It's not the way it works. Right. And to, I, I have seen, I have seen, Christian women in the past 
who have said, you know, if I just had more faith or I just have faith and so it eventually it will be okay and they haven't sought the help they needed. Mm. And I think our Heavenly Father expects us to use all the resources that are available to us, whether that's neighborhood tennis or uh-huh. a, a counselor or a support group, whatever it is, like we need to be seekers. We need to be seekers for healing. Yeah. And, and to give yourself permission to seek for that help. Um, I think so often, like you said, you're right, that we do take care of our physical body, but our emotional body or our emotional self, we don't realize that. I think it's becoming okay, more acceptable to yeah. say I'm seeing a counselor or something like that. But it, it didn't used to be. It was, there was kind of a stigma around it. Yeah, there sure was. And I'm, I'm glad to see this change that people are willing to talk about the fact that they're seeing someone or they're struggling emotionally or they're with their mental health. Uh, it's super important that we get whatever help we need. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. Um, how did you go from that dark and grieving place to being okay. Obviously time was a factor. You mentioned that and also having, um, people to help you like counselors helped you. What else, what, what else helped you move from that grief and despair towards where you could see the glimmer of light or hope again? Yeah. You know, I'm glad you mentioned time because that is a a common phrase is that time heals all wounds. Mm -hmm. And the reality is it doesn't, (laughs) it's what we do with the time. It's what we do with the time that helps us to heal. And one of the things that I did, and I'm so grateful that I did was that I, I continued my faith practices Mm. Often, and it wasn't always easy, like there were times when I was, when my faith was shaken, obviously, with such a horrific thing. I think it's common for our faith to be shaken. But I'm just, I'm grateful that I got up and went back to church the first week I was home. Mm -hmm. And I, I relied on the scriptures. I relied on prayer. I continued to do those things that had helped me in the past, even though... So one of the things that I did is I had a little tiny book of scripture, just a small one. Because mm-hmm. I was injured, my shoulders were um, severely sprained, and I had a broken wrist. And it was hard to, to hold big, bulky scriptures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I had this little itty-bitty one. Mm-hmm. And I would lay in bed, and I would read it, and I wouldn't even understand what it said but I would read it because I believe that there's power in the scriptures. Mm. And I, I believed that to the point that it didn't matter if I understood what it said. We, we see people when something hard happens, we start to scramble. We start to grab at things. And this is where people end up addicted to things mm-hmm. because they're looking for relief. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for it in places that aren't helpful. And so I'm super, super grateful that I continued my spiritual practices, being at church, reading my scriptures, praying. Those were super important. It was hard. It was really hard to go to church. Mm. It was really hard. And I think one of the reasons that it's hard, I think one of the reasons that spiritual things in general are hard when we're grieving is our emotions are so consuming already Mm -hmm. and spiritual things are emotional things and so it it pulls at our emotions and when we go to church and we hear an inspirational message it pulls at those emotions and then and we're not one thing that happened for me that i was was really difficult was i felt like i was on display like I, I, I was, there were a thousand people, almost a thousand people at the funeral mm-hmm. that, that, and people in our community came that didn't even know us. 
but had we had mutual friends and mm-hmm. so they came and when when you when you show up in a public place like that where everybody knows where all of a sudden my identity was i was the mother who had lost two children in a car accident mm. i had two children that died and that became my identity and that's how i saw myself and that's how i felt everybody else saw me it's interesting how our brain works mm-hmm. <laughs> because I have no idea if that's what they were thinking. Right. But that's the way I perceived it. Right. And it was like being in that fish in that proverbial bowl, <laughs> you know, where yeah. you just feel like you, you show up and everybody's looking at you like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Are you going to be okay? And you, you're, you, your emotions are right there on the edge, but you don't want to, you don't want to fall apart. Mm-hmm. So you're like holding it all in. It's, it's a really difficult place to be, to go to church or to any place public where people know what's happened and show up. And then in your mind, you're, you're sitting there trying to figure out how you should show up. Mm. So if I, if I cry, is everyone going to think I'm falling apart? If I laugh, is everyone going to think I didn't love my children? It, it, it's, you just don't even know how to act. You just don't even know how to act. Mm-hmm. But just going and just continuing regardless because I believed that that was the best place for me going regardless I I've over time and processing all that in my head about like what people think or what you know all of that drama that was going on in my head just continuing to go and work through that drama in my head really, really helped me. That really awesome. helped me. Yeah. There were, um, yeah, it was, it was good. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we'll have Julie tell us a little bit more about the grieving process and how she was finally able to move from grief to having joy in her life again. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson is now available for purchase on Amazon. This book took me 10 years to write and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a bonus diagnosis survival guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The diagnosis survival guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. Today I'm interviewing Julie Clough about how to recover from grief. She has personal experience with this as two of her children died in a car accident not too many years ago and she is now a grief counselor. So Julie, you were talking about the grieving process. Why don't you explain to me a little bit about what this process was like for you and how you were finally able to heal from it? Was your life the same as it was before? All the things that you did before tragedy hits may not be in your life after. I mean, obviously, whatever whoever or whatever you've lost is not going to be there. But there's other things that fall away too, because we have to allow space for our grief mm-hmm. and it's all consuming. Yes. It's all consuming. And if you, if you visualize your, your, your mind as a, a big rectangle early in your grief, it's as if that, that whole space is just the darkness of grief. Mm-hmm. And slowly you're able to, to move through the grief if you allow it. If 
you allow yourself to move through the grief, you can slowly start to regain some of that brain space, some of that mental space for other things. Mm-hmm. But it's a process. And so, so there's things that we have to kind of eliminate. Like we have to create this safety bubble around ourselves a little bit and eliminate all the non-essentials so that we give ourselves time to grieve. The thing that breaks my heart the most is being on a Facebook thread where they say for, you know, a Facebook thread for group for women who have lost children. And the question is, you know, when did you have to go back to work? And some of these women were like, I had two days off. I mean, it breaks my heart. It just crushes me to think about someone having such a horrific thing happen to them. And then having to report to work two days later. I mean, it, it's incomprehensible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so if anybody in your audience is in that position, you know, my heart just goes out to you. And we just do the best we can. And we, and we do what is necessary that day. And then we allow ourselves time to grieve. Mm-hmm. During my divorce, one of the things that I did, which I, looking back, I realized was so healing and helpful to me. I didn't realize it at the time. At the time, I thought, oh, this is, you know, maybe this isn't good. But mm-hmm. it, I, looking back, I see that it was, is I was working and I was under a tremendous amount of stress and I had young children and all this upheaval of a divorce. When I would come home at night, I would put my kids to bed I would get dressed in my pajamas and I would lay on the floor in my living room Mm -hmm. between two speakers and listen to sad music and cry. Mm -hmm. And at the time I thought, this is so pathetic. (laughs) This is so pathetic. But looking back now, like that was the absolute best thing I could have done for myself Mm -hmm. because there were things that I felt like I had to take care of Mm -hmm. during the day. And you took care of them. I took care of them. And then I gave myself this space at night to just cry as much as I wanted to and listen to sad, sad music, which brought those emotions back up so that I could, because we got to get the emotions up and out. We got to keep them moving. And that's where we get stuck is when we don't keep them moving. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and I think God helps us know if, if, if we're trying to stay in touch with him, he helps us know how to keep moving. He wants us to get through it. Yes, it does. and to heal and become stronger, and and so I love that you mentioned that it is important to give ourselves that time and that space mm-hmm. to do things that might seem a little ridiculous, but <laughs> really are important to our healing. You know, um, there were many years where um, after my kids were diagnosed with autism, my escape. I know it's, it's ridiculous, but is reading, reading fun stories. I could not read real stories. They had to be fiction because I needed some place where I could escape and it was all happy and wonderful. And the ending was happy, <laughs> but reading real stories was too raw for me. I couldn't do it. And so I think, I think that's important. It's going to look different for everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. It makes total sense because you're, I used to love to read true crime books. Uh And then when all these tragedies started happening in my life, I'm like, I've got too much going on that's (laughs) true in my life to to read somebody else's, you know, stuff that's going on. So yeah, yeah, it, it becomes too much. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, Julie, you mentioned before that you have a lot of joy in your life now, probably even more joy than you had before the accident. And that seems kind of like a paradox to me. And so I was wondering if you would mind explaining how you have come to be in such a joyful space in your life, especially after something so challenging. That is such a great question because... I, I feel like this is something where if I just kind of walked up to somebody on the street and said, here's my story, and I feel more joy now, they would go, you are a crazy woman. <laughs> <laughs> People would not understand that. But there's when, when you go through something like this and you, and you do it in a, in a way that 
continues to build your faith and you do it in a way that honors you and honors your kids. And it, it like, I'm, I'm going to say this again. It was not pretty. <laughs> it mm-hmm. was, it was an ugly mess. My husband and I, my relationship suffered during all this. It was just super challenging. And actually I want to speak to that really quickly because sometimes we think that when something like this happens, that it brings you together. And sometimes it can. Mm-hmm. And initially it did. Initially it, it did. But, but over time, each individual has a different experience. Each individual has a different grieving process. And if, and, and if we judge how the other person is grieving, like, why aren't you crying? Mm-hmm. Or why, why don't you do this? Or why don't you do it? We start to judge how the other person or, and, and we're so consumed. And, you know, you think about that, that rectangle, that dark rectangle of, of grief that's taken over our brain. And both of us are experiencing that. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing left for each other. That's what I experienced. It, there was just so little left for each other that our relationship suffered. And gratefully, I, I, to this day, I say it's it, because of my husband, we are still married because he, he never, ever blamed me. He never pointed a finger at me. He never, I felt so bad about myself, but he never, ever heaped any more of that on me. So it was this really, really hard place. But once I got to the other side of it, once I could get to the other side, where I, I'm now certified as a grief recovery specialist. So just those, those steps of taking those steps to, to recovery. Once, once I got to the other side, I realized the worst thing that could happen to me has already happened. Mm. And all my worries about money went away. All my worries about just the day to day, what's going to happen. And I'm not saying that just completely went away and that, you know, I don't, I don't still get ticked if somebody tries to run me off the highway or something. I mean, it's, it's not like that, but you know, that greater, that pressure that we feel in day-to-day life, I was able to kind of look above the pressure like, and, and reframe my life and reframe how I feel about things and the way I look at things and the way I judge other people and the way just everything, my whole perspective just changed. It was almost as if I had a near-death experience. Mm. <laughs> it's almost as if that was my experience because it just changed everything. And not immediately, but over time. And so now I don't worry about money. And I don't worry about if the car is going to break down. Or I don't worry about things that just kind of bog us down. I'm like, I'm trying to racking my brain trying to think, what do we worry about? But, you know, like I, I, my kids that are alive today... I have concern for them and I want to help them and I, and I, I'm there for them, but I'm not going to sit and worry over them because mm-hmm. it really does no good. It, it, it solves nothing. Mm-hmm. So we do what we can to live the best life we can. And then we give it all up to God from there. Yeah. Like, I don't know how else to explain it except that, uh, yeah. And just even my, like my perspective of death and dying, I, I felt such a connection to the next world, to the, to the eternal world. I have people that I love there mm-hmm. and there is still a connection. And we, we talk about losing people, but we haven't lost them as much as they have moved on before us. Mm. Yeah. So it sounds like you learned through this experience to to not sweat the small stuff. Yeah. And by not sweating the small stuff, you're happier now. Is that a good way to summarize that? Absolutely. Yeah, that's the best way to summarize it. And it's not that there hasn't been difficult things since then. There right. certainly has been. And, and I've had challenges and I've had projects that challenged me, you know, big things that have happened. But it's just that... Yeah, it's the not worrying about all the little things. and yeah. mm, That's that's a powerful lesson to learn. I mean, I'm sorry you had to go through such a traumatic thing to learn it. I think but. there's an easier way to learn it. <laughs> and so I, I hope everyone listening finds an easier way to learn it. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> so 
one other question I'm curious to know, what were some of the most um, helpful things that people did for you and your family after the tragedy? I am, I am so grateful you asked this because this is something that people ask me a lot now because of the, the things that I've learned about grief. They're like, well, how do I help my friend? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I, even after losing my brother, losing my kids, I myself would still go to funerals and feel like, or have a friend that experienced a, a tough life loss. And I still felt like I flubbed it. You know, I still felt like I, I stumbled and I wasn't helpful and like I, I, like I wanted to be. It's because I think it's because it's such a tender time. It's such a difficult time that it's like walking on eggshells a little bit. And the most important thing for me was, was when my friends were just there. Mm. What happens when, when we have a loved one that's going through a difficult time is we want them to feel better mm-hmm. and we want them to feel better because that will make us feel better too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but we want them to feel better. So we offer, we offer things like, well, they're in a better place and, um, you had them for 10 years, you know, isn't mm-hmm. that a blessing? And th- so they offer things that maybe aren't helpful mm-hmm. because they're looking for something that they can say that will remind you that, there's an eternity and you, you know, you'll go on and you'll be reunited with them again. We, we know all that. Like Mm -hmm. I knew all that. So those types of things weren't helpful. I already knew that Mm -hmm. it was when people were just willing to show up and be there. I had friends that would just come over to the house and they would clean the kitchen. They would bring meals they would just hang out in the family room while I was in the bedroom and take care of anybody that came to the door. Like just people showing up. We had, um, our, our son's scout master came over and saw that our front door needed to be refinished and took down our front door and refinished it. Oh, wow. Like, I mean, just things like that. I was homeschooling my kids at the time and I had, I homeschooled my kids for a number of years and, our homeschool group before we even came back from the hospital, all the families came over with flowers and planted flowers in our yard. And when I see those pictures, they took a couple of pictures of them in the yard mm-hmm. and every once in a while I'll run across those pictures and man, that is just, that is such a, a blessing is such a tender moment because those kids were hurting too. And that's what I recognized from the beginning is it wasn't just my tragedy. It wasn't just my husband's. It wasn't just our family's tragedy. It was a community tragedy. There were people hurting because these kids were loved and Mm -hmm. our family was loved. And it's, it's painful when you watch people go through something difficult. Oh, I think just people showed up. They, they cleaned, they cooked, they offered space for our family that was coming in for the funeral. They, um, they they brought over cards with donations to help us with the expense. It would be GoFundMe now, uh-huh. <laughs> but at the time it was a card with you know cash in it. It was it was amazing the outpouring of love. And I think when you think about like a divorce, that's that's not something that happens suddenly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that happens over time. I think the most important thing we can do for our friends and families, and the most important thing that was shown to me was patience and love. And just the willingness to listen and be there. Yeah. I had a couple of friends that had gone through some difficult things, not the exact same thing, but, you know, had gone through difficult things and understood what it was to grieve. Mm. And so they would just come to the house and they would listen. Mm. And I, we wear out people because we need to talk. We need to talk about it to get it, to get it out. And when people aren't familiar with what that is. Like they, they haven't gone through something difficult and they don't understand that need to, to talk and, and get things out. We can wear them out. Yeah. You know, they're just like, okay, I think I've heard this before, <laughs> but there was, you know, a couple of friends that were just willing to just be there and listen and without judgment, without judgment, without saying to me, you need, just need to get over it. You just need to move on. You just, you know, there was no, 
there was no judgment. It was, uh, it was just pure love. That is fantastic. Wow. Thank you for sharing that because I think we do. We want to know as, as friends and as uh, members of communities where people are suffering, we want to know how can we best help and serve. And sounds like just showing up and listening are two listening without judgment are two huge, of the biggest huge 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 and if yeah. you notice a need just act yeah because often i think your rectangle like you describe it is so full you can't process any other needs if like somebody, your front door yeah. i mean it was probably not said, even on your list yeah. of things if somebody to worry came about up and said what what can we do to help i would have never said hey can you take down my front door and refinish <laughs> it like you know that's just not something so i, I think you know, just doing something, just showing that we care, just showing up, sending those messages. We, and I've, I'm guilty of this too. You know, when, when I've had friends in the past that have gone through hard things, I thought, oh, you just need to leave them alone. They need their space. That's what we say. Mm-hmm. They don't need their space. They don't need to be left alone. They need to know that people care about them and love them and right. that they're not alone. Right. That's perfect. That's beautiful. I love that. Now, you said you spent a lot of time in the scriptures mm-hmm. as you were going through and recovering from grief. Were there any Bible verses that became particularly meaningful to you during this time? Yeah, I, I think that the verse in Matthew that talks about, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To me, that was exactly what I was doing, you know, the next verse talks about giving him our, our load. And that was exactly what I was visualizing, you know, in that, that meadow with Christ was leaning on him and knowing that he was going to be there, that he understood and that he could give me rest the only kind of rest that was going to be helpful Mm. at that point. That's beautiful. Wow. That's powerful. And thank you for sharing that. That's one of my favorites as well. And I love the image of being yoked because that means you're not carrying the burden alone. Exactly. And so it's good to know you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, really it's, it's kind of cliche, but going back to Job and just seeing his faith and seeing everything that he'd lost and, and him realizing that, you know, even though I've lost all this, my faith is still in God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's another great person to read if you're, if you're struggling. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, are there any websites or books or other resources you would recommend to somebody who is grieving? Now, obviously, we've mentioned, you know, finding a counselor and stuff like that. That is super, super important. So find one that you love and trust, mm-hmm. right? But what else? I I loved reading books about near-death experiences. Really? Yeah, I really, really... I, I One of my favorite books, even before all this happened, was Return to Me. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the author's name. That's okay. We'll find it and we'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Return to Me, I think is George something, is, is a is a near-death experience uh it, it's it's been out for years and years and years mm-hmm. so it was a book that i was already familiar with that i've read probably three or four times over my mm-hmm. lifetime so that one and there was a, another book that a couple of different friends brought to me and it's a book by lance richardson called the message mm-hmm. and he had a near-death experience and he was able to kind of see the workings of heavenly angels, if you will, you know, and, and how they help us on earth. Mm -hmm. And so that was really uplifting to me to read that and to see how those that have gone before are still helping us. Mm -hmm. That's a really powerful book. And then since then he actually passed away about five years after I think the book was written and his wife and children wrote a sequel And they talk about their experience and losing their husband and father in a book called From Our Side. Mm. And that book is now available as a, as, as a, it's together. Like it's, Mm. you buy one book and it's got the message and it's got From Our Side in it. So I just recently read From Our Side 
and read about their experience because I didn't even know that book existed until recently. And um, for me, too, I think music is super powerful. So if Mm -hmm. we can create a playlist of inspirational music that lifts us, so we have to have ways of getting our emotions up and out, and then we have to have ways of bringing in inspiration. Mm-hmm. And music is super powerful for not only moving our emotions. If we're sad, we can listen to sad music and move those emotions through us. It helps us to, to get that moving. Mm-hmm. But we can also listen to inspirational music that's then going to bring in the inspiration. So we're kind of like dumping and enlightening you know dumping and enlightening i love that and uh so i think music is super powerful the one thing that i have found fascinating Mm -hmm. the last couple of years is when when carrie and david died facebook wasn't really a thing right like it might have existed but it wasn't didn't exist in my world or my kids world you know at that point and it was, a, I think, a year later when, when our family started to get on Facebook. Now, when someone goes through something hard, they go to Facebook for support. Mm-hmm. A lot of those messages are not helpful. It's a lot of people that are in pain because it's fresh. Yeah. And so they're, the messages, I found a Facebook page a woman who had written a book about grief and it's directed towards mothers who've lost children. It's got like a quarter of a million followers mm-hmm. on it. And there were so many messages on there about if you're a mother who has lost children, you are going to grieve your child the rest of your life with every beat of your heart, with every second, with every moment, with every hour of the day. And I am here to tell you, it does not have to be that way. It, mm. it, it feels like that when we're in the middle of it. It feels like it is never, the pain is unending. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's a dark place that is in painful and and that pain is just never going to go away. Mm-hmm. And if we believe these messages that what we're feeling right now is how we're going to feel the rest of our life, we are not going to seek the healing that is available to us. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are going to be stuck in this place with this confirmation around us that this is where we're supposed to be, that we're Mm -hmm. supposed to grieve our child the rest of our life. And that message says to a mother that if you love your child, you're going to grieve the rest of your life. And I am saying right here, that is not true. That is not necessary. It is, it, it does not have to be that way that we can. Yes. It's painful. Yes. It's hard. Yes. it, It takes years. And it might, it may take months. It might take years, whatever time it takes to, to go through those emotions and work through them. But there are steps you can take and there are things that you can do that will help you to move through it and to learn about grief and learn about what you're experiencing. So you don't add additional pain to yourself Mm -hmm. and, and you can come out on the other side and you can celebrate, you can celebrate your child's life. You can celebrate your husband that you lost. You can celebrate their life. You can celebrate whoever that person is that you've lost. You can celebrate them Mm -hmm. and you can feel joy again. You can feel, you can feel grateful that they were a part of your life Mm -hmm. that, you know, I look at it this way. If God came to me and said, here's your choice, Carrie and David can be your children, but only for eight and 10 years or they cannot be your children. Mm. What would I choose? I would choose to be their mother for the years that they lived here. I would choose that mm-hmm. over and over and over again, regardless of the pain of losing them. Mm-hmm. Because your focus is on the joy. Right. And the beauty of having them in your lives instead of on the loss. So maybe that's the trick. It's focusing on what you gained. Mm-hmm from having them in your life absolutely, and being grateful and allowing yourself to progress to that place of joy. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We grief is painful. And so we push it away, but then happiness comes along and we push that away. And so we're just pushing away all the emotions. But if we can, if we can allow the grief 
and we can allow the happy and we can allow ourselves to feel what we're feeling, Mm -hmm. we're going to be so much better off. Absolutely. That's fantastic. If this message has really resonated with someone, how can they get a hold of you? I have a website, Build a Life After Loss. This has become my mission mm-hmm. is to help other people who are suffering from grief. There's a lot of misconceptions about grief. And so my website, Built a Life After Loss, I have a podcast by the same name, mm-hmm. a Facebook page by the same name, but I am a grief and transformation coach. So this is what I do. I'm a grief recovery specialist. And this is what I do is I, I help people to take those steps to move forward. And I, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to do that. So yeah, build a life after loss.com. It's a mouthful. (laughs) No, that's okay. We will reference that in the show notes too. So people can be sure to find the right spot to connect with you. Wonderful. Are there any final tips you want to share before we close? I think my, the most important thing we can do first have hope for a better day, mm-hmm. that there is something ahead for us, that the way we feel today is not how we're going to feel tomorrow or a week from now or a month from now or a year from now. And then be patient, be patient with ourselves and learn to love yourself, learn to love yourself. It's like the most important thing you can do. What would you tell a friend who is going through a difficult thing? Would you say, come on, you got to, you know, like, would you beat them up for being <laughs> sad because they've, they've had this hard thing happen? Yeah. And, and we, we want to be, we want to do that for ourselves. We want to, we want to be our own best friend. We want to, we want to give ourselves encouragement and not beat ourselves up. So patience and hope, patience and hope all day long. Awesome. Well, that's a perfect message to end on. Thank you so much, Julie, for being willing to dive deep and share such a beautiful story of love and of grief and yet of hope on the other end. So thank you for sharing that with me. You're welcome. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website. It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode, you forget what were those great things. So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, remember God loves you.